Blog Talk Radio. Michael Gordon. Welcome to the program. If you're listening in live, you can call in any time during the show. And our call-in number is area code 347-945-7891. That's area code 347-945-7891. And uh, you can call in with any topic of conversation, anything you want to talk about um I'm sure we could um, accommodate. (laughs) I mean, we're not a car repair program, so, you know, that kind of thing. Might be a little outside of the the subject material, but concerning, you know, issues around uh, what we call spiritual psychology for daily life. Anyway, back to the uh, focus for today's program, which is From Fear to Love, um, and the title is Fearless Heart, Gentle Warrior. I know that sounds a little woo-woo to maybe some of you, Um, but I assure you that the idea of being courageous in the way that I defined it in the last program is contrary to any negative idea that we have around vulnerability and openness. Uh, For example, uh, someone I quote quite frequently on this program, who's the uh, great... uh, spiritual teacher who's passed on from Tibet, Chogyam Trimpa, who's the founder of the Shambhala training and the Shambhala organization worldwide, which is secular uh, Tibetan Buddhist mind training, or simply put, you know, mindful awareness meditation uh, instruction for for uh, Westerners, essentially. And uh, in one of his key books, which is called uh, Shambhala, the Sacred Path of the Warrior, he talks about being the tender-hearted warrior. And that's a very interesting proposition, to be a tender-hearted warrior. If you think about uh, some of the warrior traditions that we know from uh, eras bygone, uh, for example, the samurai, and I've talked about uh, Budo, which is the path of warriorship, if you will, of the art of warriorship, in the samurai tradition, um, you know, through popular culture, we've come to know samurai as being, in a way, you know, kind of glamorized in the West as being Japanese cowboys, if you will, and so the Wild West of the Japanese uh, ancient era. Uh, but they were far from it. They were extremely disciplined and um, had great fealty to a lord and to a traditional uh, clan or house. And their ethos was to um, protect those who are unprotected, not only to protect the lord and the dominion of that um, 
clan, uh, but also to d- defend the weak and uh, and to protect the honor of the traditional um, way in Japan. And uh, that meant working on themselves in every aspect to perfect themselves. And to perfect themselves not in the sense of what you might think as being uh, technically proficient, although that was that's an, certainly a um, motivating factor, uh, but also perfecting oneself, in, in, most importantly in the spiritual sense, to uh, purify one's mind and, and spirit. And this, of course, comes through great physical training, but also through mind training, meditation, um, you know, the cultivation of of all the different aspects of the Buddha warriorship and, and purification of self, um, and that included things like calligraphy and uh, traditional tea ceremony, down to the smallest movement, to the way that one handles their personal items, the, the feng shui of, you know, um, one's home and the manner of one speaking. And um, so there's a certain austerity and um, what we would regard as a Zen minimalism in a way to uh, to that way of life, that way of being. So coming back to what that means in terms of gentle warriorship and talking about Chogyam Trimpa, he was talking about tender-hearted warrior. And what he's really getting at there is that the ability to be My apologies for that. Uh, I got disconnected from the program. It is a uh, just a slight technical glitch with the way we connect to the online uh, studio of the program. So occasionally we do have drop calls and interferes with the program. So thank you for your patience with that. And uh, coming back to the point I was making about connecting to reality from an, an open-hearted place. And you know, one of the one of the ways that I uh, remember this is you know. Um, in descriptions of uh, and, and my experience of seeing the Dalai Lama speak 
and he can in one moment burst into gateway, you know, and not in a um, disparaging or diminutive way, you know, to to make someone else feel small or, you know, a conceited, arrogant way or dismissive way, but uh, just just in a lighthearted way, really, in, in the sense of being open-hearted, lighthearted, that there's a kind of ridiculousness about the nature of our um, dilemmas of, you know, our experience of life and, and trying to figure things out. It's not that any of the issues that we cope try to cope with are, are lighthearted, but um, we really tie ourselves in knots trying to figure things out, and some of these things are not easy to figure out. And so... Um, so there's a kind of endearing quality to that giggling aspect. And at the same hand, he, he can also pivot in the moment into real sincere response of uh, empathy and tears, you know, genuine heartfelt connection and tears and be moved um, very sincerely. So there's that ability to be you know labile and to emotionally be um available to the moment without fear of um, what that means and that um we will disappear into that experience or that somehow that experience defines us so there is a quality of fearlessness to that one of the other visual um analogies if you, i guess if um, of this aspect of fearless heart and gentle warriorship is what drew me into the art of Aikido many years ago. And I was reading a eulogy uh, in Esquire magazine for a departed American teacher. Uh, it might have been Terry Dobson. I'll have to, I do have to go back and look at this. And if anyone does know, please, please let me know on the program. Uh, but regardless, this was a, a respected teacher. So we've been around many years and had, um, quite a diverse life, you know, was a was an artist, apparently a metal metal sculpture sculptor, and um, led a sort of in a way, sort of Renaissance man kind of life. And the description that really struck me and really pulled me in and drew me towards uh, finding, you know, Aikido dojo in Vancouver and eventually becoming my own, you know, a teacher and, and uh, uh, starting my own dojo, my own organization, ultimately, was the image of this teacher um, showing his, demonstrating to his students how to take someone down to the mat. And it was said that he would sometimes do that while holding a raggedy Ann doll, you know, those loose dolls from the old days, the long legs and arms, they're like giant sock puppets, Raggedy Ann dolls, Raggedy Andy. And, you know, so it's the size of a small child. And it might have even been just a doll, I, I you know, like a, a, a baby doll. Regardless, the idea of holding a child securely and being able to control the physical attack someone's attack and and to neutralize that attack in a way that was also not destructive and not vicious because it's impossible to do those two things at the same time to be protective on the one hand and to be vicious and destructive and 
wantonly aggressive on the other hand. So that struck me as a very, very powerful image. And I think it's a really great metaphor for how we can look at engaging life, that um, it takes a real concerted effort to overcome the prevailing sort of conventional sense of self and taking care of oneself versus being open to other people. And that there's this sort of internal sense of jingoism, you know, the fear of dealing with the outside and, and the other, or the xenophobia of the stranger, and that we're always have to be on guard. And, you know, when you are settled within yourself, you're much more open to experiences and you can ha- handle more experiences and you can be more flexible in situations. That doesn't mean you're going to be, uh, you know, just letting yourself prone to anything that comes along. Obviously, you have to have boundaries in life and you have to protect yourself and your energy and your emotions and your, you know, your own your own life sphere from people who may be destructive or toxic to you. But you don't want to do that at the risk of being overprotective and shutting yourself down. So those are two very strong uh, images I have. The one of the Dalai Lama, you know, one moment giggling, one moment crying in, in sincere empathy. And the other being the protective spirit of Aikido that um, not only protects the self or protects, you know, a vulnerable person, but also has a sense of protection for the person who is attacking because really they're the one who has the problem. There's something in within them that... Um, has gone awry such that they have the need to be aggressive or something they want from you. Um, But the underlying principle or, or regard that you have for every being is that they, every being wants happiness. Every being wants well-being and something has happened to that person that is causing them to attack or to to uh, override the inherent uh, interdependence that um, we all are born with. You know, it, it, the Dalai Lama said, in fact, the last time he was in Vancouver, where the show is based, um, Vancouver, Canada, uh, the Dalai Lama was talking about how the seed of human compassion is framed in the in the moment when a, when the infant reaches for the mother's uh, breast for for nourishment for breast milk that is the seed of human compassion that need and the the meeting of that need by the mother the mother's openness and vulnerability and again protectiveness and nourishment to the to an infant that tenderness is is the seed of compassion and compassion um doesn't is not, is not equated with pity, not by any standard. And pity is actually quite contemptuous. Compassion is something that includes yourself. And it's very different from what we tend to think of uh, altruism. In fact, there's a teaching in, um, in the Buddhist uh, teachings uh, about idiot compassion, or what the Dalai Lama refers to as stupid compassion sometimes. And and this is the notion that you put others ahead of yourself or that you have some sort of noble purpose 
um, that is your duty to fulfill above and beyond anybody else's calling. And while that's admirable, it's not it's not truthful because the really the the idea behind the seed of compassion being in that exchange between the completely dependent newborn and the mother giver of life is the recognition again of that interdependence and that we are all born dependent that's that's the that's the fundamental nature of of the cycle of of birth and death and so um again something goes awry there that that we have somewhere picked up along the way the the need or the feeling that we have to um compete with other people so um the stupid compassion right that's what I was talking about um I feel like sometimes I'm just giving a lecture here and I haven't really, you know, set up a formal talk. So it's supposed to be an interactive talk show. <laughs> and I'm going to have to start getting some guests on this program to have more of a dialogue rather than just give these spontaneous talks. But I do enjoy this. But coming back to the stupid compassion, the idea is that uh, compassion starts with yourself, really. It's the it's the um, making the what's called the cradle of loving kindness, that we are able to abide our own struggle, primarily through mindful awareness and meditation. But, you know, it could be simply just journaling and even just talking with your friends. I mean, it's not something that has to be so formal as meditation, although meditation is something that's very simple and anybody can do, even for a very brief period of time. But the idea is to have some self-awareness and to contact that wound, of being alive and suffering and struggling with identity and ego and how, how you know mortality and all these things that we do st- struggle with as human beings and not wanting to lose people in our lives and not wanting to die ourselves. So there, all of those struggles that we have in our own personal uh, narrative and how we build up this story about ourselves and how we don't feel fulfilled or we don't feel fully um, valid as, as people and our own insecurities that when you're able to abide that and be present with that in a non-judgmental way, just in an observing way, then you start to tap into that inherent empathy that we have. And from that place, that naturally draws you to be empathetic towards other people. It allows that competitiveness to soften. And then from there, you can have a naturally arising sense of uh, giving and receiving. But particularly, you know, in terms of compassion, um, the connection with the suffer- to the suffering of others, which also alleviates your own suffering because you realize it's not just happening to you and you don't get uh, so immersed in um, self-loathing or feeling sorry for yourself. It kind of uh, allows you to, to connect with other beings um, on the same level. And we're kind of all in the same boat together with this conundrum of existing and what that means. So the idea that you give someone money on the street, you know, out of pity because, oh, that poor person um, is somewhat denigrating and contemptuous in a way if it's not done from a sense of empathy. If it's genuine and it makes you feel better, then that's positive. 
then then you, there's a fair exchange there, and it's included you. So I think this is also very important to the idea of um, fearlessness and being uh, an open-hearted, a tender-hearted, or I like to think of as a broken-hearted warrior. And we look at the notion of being broken-hearted. Life is heartbreaking. You know, the cycle of birth, life, death, and our lack of control over the aging process and illness and seeing loved ones and seeing our Earth suffer as a planet, seeing our impact on the Earth. All of these things can connect us with a profound sense of grief and a, uh, a sense of not being in control with, with all of that happening in our world and our personal worlds. So it comes back to that sense of being not being afraid of that um, that that depth of sorrow, because it also allows us to connect to our sense of life and appreciation for life and our joy of being present and living uh, and appreciating being alive in every moment. That life is in fact a very precious gift. So the two go hand in hand. So we tend to think of brokenhearted clearly in the sense of being romantically brokenhearted or you know grief-stricken, but we tend to very much personalize that process. And again, when we can bring it back to the broken-heartedness of being alive, then it allows us to be more vulnerable and more open. And certainly, by being in touch with that own process with yourself and being at peace with it and engaging in that way and letting it go, letting go of attachments to those things, it makes you a more powerful person because you're not at odds with yourself. You're not at war with yourself. And so, for example, in the Aikido context, as a metaphor for dealing with and a, and a way of dealing with uh, daily life and conflicts in daily life, if people cannot exploit that unresolved tension within yourself and, cre- and they cannot create a disturbance in your mind because you are already in control, then um, you're a very formidable person to, and you're not going to draw that kind of attack towards yourself. And if you do, it's quite easy to neutralize it because the person attacking really is undoing themselves. And I can go on a lot about that at length, but uh, we come back to this application of, you know, not necessarily a physical attack, but maybe people's negative behavior. And uh, I read a quote today from the Dalai Lama saying, um, you mustn't let the behavior of others disturb your inner peace. And in, it's a great statement, but it requires, first of all, that you that you are able to have an experience of inner peace. It's not something that has to be absolute. It's not something that you have to turn into a project. But it is something that you can have a connection with and, and, and experience and cultivate for yourself. And in fact, as you do that, other people's behavior affects you less and less, and you're less prone to be subconsciously attracting that into your life and trying to work that out through other people. And really the people we attract into our lives can often be um, the result of our subconscious patterns playing themselves out, trying to work things out through other people. They're really a mirror of our own inner conflict. So there we are again, another uh, packed program, lots of information there and lots of pause for thought. And again, the purpose of the show is uh, to create and stimulate dialogue and 
to engage these topics in a way that's meaningful, you know, for our daily lives. And certainly it's meaningful to me and, and uh, not only as an Aikido person and teacher, but as a practicing therapist and a human being, you know, and, and uh, every day we are out in the world and hopefully trying to be working on being uh, better people, trying to lead to a more civilized and compassionate society. So with that note, I leave you today. It's the end of the program. I hope you've enjoyed the show, as always. And if you're listening to the archive program, thanks so much for tuning in. Please do follow the links on Blog Talk Radio, the Mind Whisperer for our Twitter page, for the Facebook page, and to follow us on, on Blog Talk Radio as well. We appreciate all your support in getting the program more widely known and popularized. And, you know, we really want to build this and uh, plan to expand the show with having some great guests in the very near future to enrich the program. So take care of yourselves, and we'll see you soon on the Mind Whisperer. I've been your host, Michael Gordon. Be well.